You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Father, I believe that the good you intend for us in the fourth commandment is greater than we could dare to dream. And that is because, as Joshua has prayed, you are a good God. You, the one true God, the holy God who saves our Father in Jesus Christ, your heart is to magnify your glory in the joy of your people. And this morning, as we open your word together, we trust you in that. We trust you in your goodness, and we ask that you would show us your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning in Exodus 20, we're looking at the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath. And I want to say from the start that this commandment is not confusing. It's as easy to read as all the other commandments. However, when it comes to the actual practice of this commandment, this commandment is the most controversial. There is debate here not so much on the commandment itself, but on how we apply it or when we apply it or in what ways is different for us as Christians than it was for Israel. And just to be clear, so you know, this, this is the only commandment of the 10 where we do this. All the other commandments have straightforward application, but the Sabbath commandment, which is the longest commandment and which has rationale included with it, This is the commandment we're less sure about, and therefore, it's the commandment we're most likely to ignore. Like, I think we we tend to assume that God doesn't really expect us to remember the Sabbath like He expects us not to murder. Does He? We... We treat the Sabbath differently than the other nine commandments, and I think it's less because each one is fully convinced in his own mind by conviction, and I think it's more because we just don't really understand it. I don't think we have appreciated the fourth commandment. Now, the fourth commandment, is a different commandment from the others for two reasons. One, its application has changed in redemptive history. And two, in the Gospels, we see how the Pharisees so badly abused the Sabbath. So we see that in in the Gospels. And we're going to look at both of these things. But my macro goal for this sermon is really simply to show you that the fourth commandment counts. Like, I want you to know it matters. The fourth commandment matters, and we should not ignore it. And here's the plan for how I want to do that. I just want to really do two, two things. This is the outline for the sermon. Number one, what is the Sabbath? And then over here, number two, how do we remember it? What is the Sabbath, and how do we remember it? Okay, it's simple, all right, simple. All right, over here, what is the Sabbath? Now, I have like a little statement definition that I want to give you, but I don't want to start there. I want us to get there more inductively, okay? So look at verse 8 again. I want you to hear the command in verse 8. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. 
Now notice that the Sabbath itself is not the command, but the command is to remember the Sabbath, which means that the Sabbath is already a thing. And we know this, we've, we've seen this. The Sabbath has, has been a thing a long time before we get to Exodus 20. It goes all the way back to Genesis 2 in the act of creation. So just, just listen to Genesis chapter 2. This is verses 1 to 3. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the seventh day is blessed by God and set apart as holy because it was on the seventh day that God rested from his creation work. We saw this a long time ago in Genesis chapter 2. Now the word for rest in Genesis 2-2, it's the Hebrew word Shabbat, which gets transliterated in English as Sabbath. So the meaning of Sabbath literally is to stop or to rest. And before it has anything to do with a commandment, we should know that it first has to do with God himself. So Genesis 2 is saying to us, God is a God who rests. God is able to rest. He is a God who completes his work, which means he's not endlessly laboring and wringing his hands under the pressure to get more done. Instead, in creation, he worked and he stopped. And God shows us this in Genesis 2 because he wants us to know this about him. Genesis 2 is pointing to a truth about God that's meant to shed light on everything else we see him do. God is able to work and stop because he knows he is sufficient in his glory to accomplish what he intends. God's rest is a reflection of God's majesty. And here's why. God's design for the universe is what is what you call teleological. It, it has a telos or an endpoint. Okay, it means that the universe is not this never-ending hamster wheel that just runs on and on, but it but it starts with a purpose and it has a finish line. God has a purpose for everything in the universe, and one day it will all be fulfilled. God's, God's purpose will be accomplished, and God knows that. He knows that. Now, see, for us, when we have work or when we have you know, different projects, we're, we're never exactly sure how they're going to pan out. And so in our work, there's always a, a sense of unpredictability, and therefore, insecurity. And we work in that. But it is not that way with God. God knows exactly what he intends. 
And he knows he has the resources of power and wisdom and grace to accomplish what he intends. That is his glory. That's God's glory. And because of his glory, one day, all of this will stop. God's work and purpose for the universe will be complete. It will reach its end point and there will be final rest. And Genesis 2 foreshadows that. It's interesting in Genesis 2 that the seventh day of rest is the only day that doesn't end. If you're reading through Genesis, you see every day it says, you know, uh, this was the, the, the morning and the evening, the so-and-so day. That's how the, that's the pattern. Until we get to the seventh day. It doesn't work that way with the seventh day. The seventh day of rest just is. It just is. This rest is so central to God and his reality that he has built it into the DNA of creation. God has designed in creation this work-rest rhythm, this six-and-one rhythm that flows from the fact of his majesty. The rhythm is not arbitrary, but it's rooted in the glory of God, in his power and wisdom and grace. God is a God who is able to rest. That's what we should know. He is a God who is able to rest. And so when it comes to the little statement definition we, we want to do here for Sabbath, here's the first part, okay? Sabbath is a rhythm rooted in the glory of God and designed into creation. What is the Sabbath? Sabbath is a rhythm. It's a rhythm rooted in the glory of God and designed into creation. And I think verse 11 is getting at this. The fourth commandment is one of only two commandments that includes rationale. The first rationale is with the second commandment in verse 5. Yahweh forbids idolatry because he is a jealous God. That's what he says. The only other place where rationale, grounding, is provided is here in the fourth commandment in verse 11. Why should Israel remember the Sabbath? Verse 11, because for in six days, Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Again, the fourth commandment doesn't make Sabbath a thing. It's already been a thing. Since Genesis chapter 2, the fourth commandment is specifically to remember that. Remember that God designed Sabbath in the beginning mainly to say something about himself. One more example of Sabbath pre-existing the Ten Commandments is in Exodus 16, and we've seen this. This is when uh, God sent manna from heaven to feed the people of Israel. He, he gave them instructions for how they're to gather the manna. You remember, in the instructions, he gave a six-in-one rhythm. Moses told the people of Israel they could gather all the manna they wanted for six days, but on the seventh day, they were not to gather any because the seventh day is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. That's Exodus is 16 verse 23. So Moses uses the word Sabbath here just like he does in Genesis 2. And this is before God gave any laws. Even before the law, 
before we get to Mount Sinai, God still expected Israel to appreciate the Sabbath because the Sabbath is built into creation. It's in the DNA of creation. And God knew, he knew that Israel would have a hard time with this because of their sinfulness. And so in Exodus 20, he has to mandate the Sabbath just like he has to mandate only worshiping him. God has to spell out his will for his people and obedience to his will is not going to look like what everybody else is doing. This is absolutely, absolutely in view with the Ten Commandments, starting with the first commandment to have no other gods. Yahweh demands our total allegiance. He has no rivals. He wants all of us for only Him. Don't bow to anything else. Only worship Yahweh in the way of Yahweh. Don't take His name in vain. Everything you do with your mind and your mouth and your hands, do it all to magnify His worth. These are the first three commandments. And if we're living in obedience to the first three commandments, it's not going to look like we're still in Egypt. It will look nothing like Egypt. In fact, it will be the exact opposite of Egypt. Total allegiance to Yahweh means a radical break from the allegiances of the surrounding world. And that's especially true in the fourth commandment. Sabbath is a rhythm designed into creation, but remembering The Sabbath is an act of resistance to the false gods of this world. So two words, rhythm and resistance. Let me explain resistance. Remember back in verse 2 of chapter 20 here, Yahweh grounds the whole Ten Commandments in his salvation. Exodus 20, verse 2, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's the first thing he says here. And so we we should consider what, what was the land of Egypt like? What was the environment from which God saved Israel? It was an environment of endless labor. It was bricks, bricks, and more bricks. It was work, work, and more work. Ancient Egypt, and we know this, ancient Egypt is the historical paragon of industry and commerce. To this day, we can still see the pyramids and storehouses that ancient Egypt built to hold all of their stuff. The Egyptians were religious workaholics. And I mean that literally. Like religiously, Egyptians believed you could take your wealth with you. There were, in Egypt, actual hearses that pulled U-Hauls. It's a joke. because It's a preacher joke that you can't. But there, hearses pulled U-Hauls. Because they they thought you could take your stuff with you, right? And so this is this here, here's the thing with that. Because you could take your wealth, your stuff with you, there was no cap on the accumulation. 
More was always better. Their entire economy was engineered so that people could get more and more because you had to build your heaven on earth. You had to. And so the harder you worked or the harder you made your slaves work, the more you had. And the more you had, it meant better promotion for the deity you serve. See, there was a divine motivation for Egypt's workaholism. Egypt believed their wealth and glory reflected well on the false gods they worshiped. One way to say it is that the false gods of Egypt really cared about how their children dressed. Pharaoh had to make his false gods look good. The false gods of Egypt, driven by demons, wanted Pharaoh to prosper because his prosperity is what determined their worth. One one Old Testament scholar explains that Egypt's religion was intertwined with the enhancement of Pharaoh's system. The gods of Egypt needed Egypt to be richer, and therefore the gods of Egypt needed Egypt to work constantly. And the people of Israel lived in that environment for 400 years. It was work, work, and more work because the gods of Egypt needed the work, but then Yahweh rescues Israel and says, stop. Remember how I designed the universe? Remember the Sabbath? There's this six and one rhythm here. There's a day of rest. It's the Sabbath. And when God tells Israel to remember the Sabbath, they know that he is telling them to stop living like they lived in their slavery. He is saying to them, I'm not like the gods of Egypt because I don't need your work. I don't need you. And God brings Israel all the way back to the act of creation to make that point. God takes Israel back to the truth of creation to blow up the bad habits they learned in Egypt. Stopping, stopping, resting, Sabbath. It is a distinctive quality of the person whose total allegiance is to Yahweh. And that means it is an act of resistance to the false gods of this world. And so now I want to add a second part to our our, our definition. Okay, this is the definition statement. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is a rhythm rooted in the glory of God and designed into creation that is an act of resistance to the false gods of this world. And there's more, okay? So rhythm and resistance gets at the nature of Sabbath, but we need to know more about the content of Sabbath. And so I want you to look at verse 9 again. This is explaining more of of how the Sabbath day works, okay? What are we to do on the Sabbath? How how do we keep it holy? Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. 
two things to see here. Sabbath is for worship, for worship, and it's for actual rest, which means stopped work. And the two go together. In verse 10, notice the language here. The seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. This means that remembering the Sabbath is always directed Godward. Okay? This is worship. Then also, on this holy day, you shall not do any work. And not just you, but you can't have people working for you. You can't have people working under you. Kids, no homework on Sundays. This is the rest part. Okay? You stop work. You stop work, and this this has an aspect of justice to it, okay? Um, I think justice is in view when Moses repeats the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy 5. And this actually becomes a theme that we see uh, on the Sabbath in the prophets. And we don't have time to go there, but in places like Ezekiel 22 and Isaiah 56 and Amos 8, remembering the Sabbath means mercy for the vulnerable. Mercy. And we already see this in Exodus. Because just a few pages over, Moses repeats the Sabbath command in Exodus 23, verse 12. And there he says, it's so that everyone, including the least, may be refreshed. It's a purpose statement. Refreshment is what's supposed to happen on Sabbath. So Sabbath is this rhythm and resistance for worship and rest that results in refreshment. So I want to put it all together, okay? This is the, my, I'm trying to answer what is the Sabbath. Here it is. Sabbath is a rhythm rooted in the glory of God designed into creation. That is an act of resistance to the false gods of this world for the purpose of stopping work and worshiping God and thereby being refreshed. That's that's the definition. So then how does this look? How does this look? It looks like Jesus walking into a synagogue in Mark 3 and saying to a man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. And the man with a withered hand stretches out his withered hand and his withered hand is restored. Looks like that. And the Pharisees thought Jesus was violating the Sabbath when he did this. It's one of those few places in the Gospels where we see Jesus get angry. And in Mark 3, 5, this is what, what, what Jesus does. It says, Mark says that he, he looked around at the Pharisees with anger, grieved, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus was angry and grieved by how badly the Pharisees got the Sabbath wrong. And so he had to teach them that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Don't manipulate the Sabbath. Don't abuse the Sabbath that goes all the way back to Genesis 2. It's important for us to see in the Gospels that Jesus does not abolish the Sabbath. Jesus explains the Sabbath because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And his explanation is not mosaic 
is creation-y. Made those words up. It's not mosaic-y. It's creation-y. That's how he explains it. The Sabbath is not a law to burden us. It's a design to restore us. God intends more good for us in the Sabbath than we could dare to dream. And it's the one commandment we're most likely to ignore. Why is that? Okay. What is Sabbath? Let's talk now about how do we remember the Sabbath? How do we obey the fourth commandment? Okay, first, we need to recognize. I've already said Sunday. I need to, need to, know, need to recognize that there's been a change in redemptive history. Okay? The six-in-one rhythm has never changed. It's creation-y. Okay? But the day of rest has changed from the seventh day to the first day. And that is because Sunday, the first day, is the day when Jesus was raised from the dead. And we already see this pattern happening in the New Testament. This is the practice we see in the New Testament. Jesus was raised from the dead on a Sunday. He appears to his, his disciples gathered together on a Sunday. He poured out his spirit at Pentecost, which was a Sunday. In the book of Acts, the church met and, and broke bread together on a Sunday. Um, in Paul's letters, he talks about the church gathering together on a Sunday. Sunday, because it was the day when Jesus was resurrected, it became the day of worship for Christians. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John calls it the Lord's Day. That's where that language comes from. It's the Lord's Day. Sunday, the Lord's Day, became the one day in seven when Christians would gather together to worship God, and that meant stopping work and being refreshed. It's the same six-in-one rhythm in Genesis, but now Sunday is the special day. And I think it's good to talk about Sunday as the Lord's Day, or we could call it a Christian Sabbath, which is not like a Mosaic Sabbath. It looks nothing like how the Pharisees got it wrong. The resurrection of Jesus gives Sunday a new creation meaning. It has a restoration Meaning, which is what Sabbath has always been about. The resurrection of Jesus was the dawning of the new creation into this old world. The new creation is here already, but not yet. See, we who trust in Jesus right now, we have entered into God's rest, but we know that rest is not yet final. There is yet more rest, fuller rest to come. And so we gather together on Sundays to remember that. And, and there was near unanimous agreement on this in the early church. Most Christians for most of church history have regarded Sunday as special. Sunday is the Lord's day and it is special for our good. It's really only been in the last, it's only been in the last 30 to 40 years, 30 to 40 years, that Sunday has become less special for Christians in our country. And I can guarantee you that that has been driven not by theology, but by the economy. 
It's not like a whole mass of Christians got together in 1990 and decided to suddenly change their theological conviction about Sunday. It's that the world around us has become more like Egypt, and we've just tagged along. And it makes sense when you consider the false gods of secularism and consumerism. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about these false gods of our culture, and, and this is how it fits together, okay? Secularism, God absence, requires consumerism, God replacements. And this requires a workforce that cannot stop. It requires working more to make more, to buy more. And just like that, we turn our backs on this six and one rhythm because every day becomes another day where we can get just a little bit more ahead. Just a little bit more. How's that going for us, by the way? How's that working out? As a society, and even within the church, we are a people of endless work and stress and anxiety. Hey, technology doesn't help. Does it help? We are a people of endless work and stress and anxiety. We always have to have something to do. Busyness is the new status symbol. Somehow, by accident, I think we have slipped into serving other gods. If the fourth commandment feels impossible to us, it's probably because we don't keep one to three. They go together. Sabbath is rhythm and resistance for worship and rest that results in refreshment. Rhythm and resistance for worship and rest, that means refreshment. And this is so important for the Christian life. It is as relevant in our day as it has ever been. So I want you now for a minute to think about the rhythms of your life. Think about your calendar. Think about your schedules. Think, think about your patterns. Think about them. Hold them right here in your minds. Think about them. Do you have a rhythm for rest? Are you, are you making the most of Sunday? Now, when I ask the question, don't think restriction and confinement. Think refreshment. This is for your good. And, and the exact application and details are going to be different for us. Some, some careers require you to work on Sunday. I get that. We, we are not under Mosaic law. We are not under Mosaic stipulation and sanctions. Obeying the fourth commandment most basically means that you have a rest rhythm for worshiping God that refreshes your soul. And because it involves worship, ideally, it's going to include 
Sundays, but there's not a strictness here. We don't rigidly clock in and clock out. That's not how it, how it works. It's a rhythm, okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a rhythm. Think about it as a rhythm. It's a six and one creation-y rhythm. And so maybe it means all day Sunday for you. Maybe it starts Saturday morning and it, it, it goes through Sunday morning. Maybe it's right after the kids' nap time on Saturday and it goes through nap time on Sunday. Like whatever the details. The point is that you stop. You rest. You worship God. And you be refreshed. Jesus wants your soul to be refreshed. And this is something I want so badly to grow in. I think all of us have room to, to, to grow here. I think, here's the thing, I think we should all feel more refreshed than we do. We should feel refreshed more often than we do. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28? Come to me. This is the Jesus you worship. This is the Jesus we worship. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says that if we come to him, he will give us rest for our souls. And there's a spiritual aspect to this. When we stop our works for self-righteousness and we trust God, we enter into God's rest. Hebrews 4 talks about that. There is a spiritual aspect to rest, but it's also more than that. Jesus talks about rest as an actual experience. It's, it's a felt reality that one day we're going to know more fully, but we get a foretaste of it now. Jesus says, rest for your souls now. He says, if you come to him, he will give you rest Do you believe Jesus when he says that? Do you believe Jesus really means that he can give your soul rest? And if so, is your soul restful? Is your soul restful? I'm going to say something here that might sound challenging, but it's something that I want us to consider. If we have believed in Jesus, if by faith we have stopped our works and entered God's rest, if we have come to Jesus, but our hearts are never restful, we have to conclude that either Jesus doesn't really mean what he says in Matthew 11, or maybe we are not following him like he calls us to.
Let's not complexify this. Total allegiance to Jesus means you will have rest. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this as an invitation. You can trust him enough to stop. You can have a rhythm of rest in your life now. You have to rest. You have to. Rhythm and resistance for worship and rest that means a refreshed soul. Rhythm and resistance for worship and rest that means a refreshed soul. God made Sabbath for us. And he intends more good for us in Sabbath than we would dare to dream. And this morning, as we come to the table, this table is an invitation for us to remember that. Remember the goodness of God He is a good father. Remember the goodness of God in the death of Jesus for us. That that is what the meaning of the Lord's table is on the Lord's day. This is the Lord's table on the Lord's day. And we come to this table to remember God's rest and to hope in the future rest that is yet to come. And so this morning... If you would remember and hope, if you trust in Jesus, if you are united to Jesus by faith, we invite you to come and eat and drink with us. We're going to serve the bread first. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.